This is the Yale University Press podcast. I'm Jessica Hollihan, and I'm so excited to introduce my guest, Laura Wilson. Laura Wilson is an acclaimed photographer whose photos have appeared in publications including The New York Times Magazine, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, London's Sunday Times Magazine, and The Washington Post Magazine, among others. Her photographs have been collected into seven books, and we're here to talk about the brand new seventh book called The Writers' Portraits. This book is filled with gorgeous, dynamic photographic portraits of 38 writers. I won't list them all, but it's absolutely a who's who of contemporary letters. I I will name a few. Zadie Smith is on the cover, also Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Edwidge Danticat, David McCullough, Colm Toybin, Haruki Murakami, Margaret Atwood, Tom Stoppard, Cormac McCarthy, and many more. Many of the photographs are taken in the writer's home. They often include friends, family members, or pets. And as a result, they offer glimpses into the everyday lives of some of the most beloved and celebrated authors. An exhibition of these photographs is on view now and until January 1st, 2023, at the Harry Ransom Center at the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome, Laura. Thank you very much, Jessica. Uh, as you read through the, um, the short, abbreviated list of writers, I feel each time I think of who I was able to photograph, how lucky I was to see, to meet and see these people and to spend time with them. I mean, it, it was an extraordinary project, and um, I um, did look forward to the book getting out into the world so people can see uh, some of the things that I experienced in meeting and spending time with each of these writers. Well, let's start by going straight to the end of the book. Not a spoiler, but you mention in the epilogue that part of the inspiration for the project was the death of John Updike in January 2009. Why Why was that? Well, I had met Updike. He came here to Dallas, and I was at a small reception for him, and he was terribly nice and very appealing. Uh, and uh, I thought, gosh, he'd be wonderful to photograph. And I actually had a connection to him uh, through a friend, so I thought perhaps if he would be agreeable, it might be actually be possible to photograph him. And uh, I had also seen some wonderful photographs. I was thinking of doing a portrait of him, but I'd seen some wonderful pictures of him as a young man done by Dennis Stock, a really good photographer, who this might have been in the 60s or 70s. Uh, Updike was... Um, at a beach, I think, in Ipswich, Massachusetts, and he was sort of playing the way a child would play by the edge of the water, and you sort of walk in with your walk towards the waves to the water with your clothes, um, you know, with your shoes on in your good clothes, not in a bathing suit and bare feet, but with your clothes on, and you sort of try and get as close to the water, uh, and the water is alive, it seems alive, and you try and get as close as possible to the water without getting wet. And so it's a sort of game that kids play. And uh, these pictures were so charming. 
And uh, just just wonderful. It was like a little movie uh, which Dennis Stock. They were still pictures, but it seemed like a little movie of a famous person having fun at the edge of the water as if he were still a little boy. So then what happened, excuse me, Jessica, um, then what happened is that um, I did it around and uh, had a busy life, as everyone does, and uh, photographing other uh, I had other uh, responsibilities and uh, other things to photograph. And so I, as I had sort of always felt that John Updike was in my life, uh, I couldn't imagine him ever not being in my life. And so I, I didn't um, take advantage of this meeting with him and, <clears throat> and write to him and set something up. I thought, oh, well, I'll have time to do that next year. And then uh, he... Um, abruptly died, and I just felt so despondent and uh, irritated with myself for not having moved more quickly. And so I thought, well, okay, uh, if I'm ever going to do a project on photographing writers, I better get cracking and I better start right away. So that um, was uh, what made me move much more quickly um, than I might have. And you did. The, the The first photographs in the book are from the fall of that year, the fall of 2009 of Jim Crace. And then the most recent photographs of Haruki Murakami and Paul Theroux are from February 2022, this year. Did did your framework for, for what you were hoping to achieve creatively with the project shift over the course of that nearly 13 years that you worked on it? I always had the idea, uh, Jessica, to uh, photograph, do a series of pictures of each writer. I, uh, I didn't want to do just a portrait or just a reportage. I wanted to combine them the way uh, the great classic photo essays were done uh, in Life magazine in the uh, 40s and 50s. Uh, I, I, I grew up with those um, images in my mind and those photo essays, and I thought how um, how wonderful they were. I still think they're great when I look back at them. So I wanted to do that with each writer. Uh, what did happen over the course of such a long time is that I, uh, I felt I was able to dig a, a little bit more deeply into uh, how I would photograph them. As I wasn't uh, over this long period of time, I was able to think, well, uh, I have this kind of photograph with that writer that I photographed last year on Maui, the island of Maui. So when I photographed this writer uh, this year in um, Dublin, I w want something different. So it allowed me to reflect upon what I had and, and didn't have and what I needed to make the book interesting that would also be accurate and true to each person that I photographed. Hmm. And the the writers, the, the 38 writers in the book, um, you say your, your choice of who you included was guided significantly anyway by your own taste in literature. Um, but you also write in the book that you, you rarely discussed with the writers their own work. And I'm curious to know why you didn't and whether you think it would have changed the outcome of, of the photographs and of your, you know, your vision for how you were going to photograph each writer if you had also spent time talking to them about their books. 
<laughs> That's such a good question. I think what happened, um, Jessica, is that I immediately, when I first, the first writer I photographed, um, Jim Crace, I read a number of his books, and I felt I was very well prepared <laughs> to discuss anything with him, uh, or at least from my point of view. And, and But I quickly realized, I mean, they're not at all interested in what I have to say, what I about their work or about literature. I mean, what they're interested in is is um, the world that I come from, of photographs and film and uh, and even a different part of the country. Many of them were interested in Texas and, of course, Texas politics uh, and, and and Texas figures. Uh, I uh, and I know myself when someone, a very earnest person, will come up to me and say, you know. I think you'd really be interested in photographing this. It's never something I'd be interested in. I never take, uh, I don't think in all the years I've been working that uh, a person has come up to me and said, this is something I think you, you'd like to take a picture of. Uh, I think it all, that, that comes from within. So I didn't feel I could say, I mean, what would I ever say to a Nobel Prize winner about his writing or her writing? Uh, I mean, it's it's quite daunting to meet uh, a person uh, who's won the Nobel Prize in literature. And so I felt I should stick to the business of photography. That is so interesting. That is such an interesting perspective. And, and you, you do say in the book also that a number of the writers looked through photos for this project that you taken earlier. For example, you'd say that Colm Toybean commented on how interesting he found the photos of Zadie Smith, and Sam Shepard actually asked if he could have one of the photos of Thomas McGuane. Were, were they, did all the writers tend to be interested in the earlier photographs you'd taken for this project of other writers? Yes, they were. Uh, what the reason I showed them uh, the, some of the photographs that I'd taken of some of the other writers was that I wanted to give them an idea that this wasn't just a snapshot. I'd be in and out in, you know, ten minutes. Um, although all of them knew from the seriousness with which I approached them, I think that this was going to be a substantive series of pictures, and they were. Uh, terribly generous and kind about giving me the time that I needed. But I felt it was very important for them to know uh, how easy and comfortable the writers before them had um, had reacted to me being in their presence. And, and that, I felt, showed in the pictures that I was showing to them. And I wanted them, th those pictures, to sort of Put them at ease, to not be alarmed, and to uh, and to be comfortable letting me. Well, for instance, um, uh, Tobias Wolf. I mean, the last thing in the world. I mean, he even said, "Oh, I dread the thought of you uh, photographing me swimming." But but when he saw the other pictures that I've ta taken of other people, he then sort of eased into the thought of letting me photograph him swimming. And, and they, of course, that's a wonderful picture, not because I took it, but because of him allowing me to take it. And I do think that um, they all, uh, <laughs> something that I, there were certain, there are certain things that I realized that writers have uh, that they shared. And one of them was a, a sense of gossip and interest in other writers. So uh, they, not that I was going to say, 
anything about one writer or the other, but they were certainly interested in the photographs and they were interested in in uh, what the person revealed to me about his or her life. Mm. And there were some cases, I'm, I'm thinking of Michael Ondaatje, Larry McMurtry, and Peter Carey in particular, although there may have been others. You say that the writer initially resisted your suggestion that they be photographed by you for this project at all. You share the note that Larry McMurtry wrote to you, which read, Dear Laura, I'm sorry to be disobliging, but I don't want to be photographed. I'm afraid it's as simple as that. Um, did did these people come around on their own, or did you repeatedly extend the offer to photograph them? Well, I think that letter of Larry McMurtry's is just perfection for a letter to be, <laughs> first of all, to use the term disobliging, and then to say, it's, I'm afraid it's as simple as that. And uh, I really liked that letter so much, and I wrote immediately back to him and said, I understand perfectly that I hate to be photographed, so I'm completely sympathetic with you, Mr. McMurtry. But uh, I, what happened was... Uh, to certain writers who resisted or who didn't even bother to answer me when I first wrote to them, uh, I just um, would come at them from a different angle or, um, or uh, I, I, there would, there always was a personal connection. Uh, if someone, so for Larry McMurtry, he was actually going to be photographed for the cover of a magazine and I knew the writer of the magazine. So even though, I had met Mr. McMurtry, and even though he had written an introduction uh, to one of my books, um, he was still resistant. But I then said to my friend who was going to interview him for this cover story in a magazine, I said, do you mind mentioning to Mr. McMurtry that I'd like to photograph him? And for some reason, you know, no telling what the reason was, you know, Four and a half years later, he said, okay, come on out. And then when I photographed him, I was very careful and very um, uh, uh, circumspect in how I was and what I uh, photographed and what I was asking him for. But at the end of the session, he said, oh, come back anytime you want. Photograph whatever you want. So lots of times it was just keeping, um, not getting discouraged and thinking, well, I will ask in another way if I might photograph them. Because I know myself, when you're busy working and you're hard at work on a project, the last thing in the world you want to do is stop. Well, never. I never would say I want to stop and be photographed. <laughs> <laughs> would you? <laughs> I, well, I would not. <laughs> yeah, so it was just a matter of waiting for the stars to align. Yeah, exactly. And and I do think, I mean, that's uh, to go back to your question about it was such a long time between the first picture and the, la and the most recent, the last two portraits. I mean, that's something that that period of time allowed me to get two or three very important writers that I wouldn't have gotten if I had just uh, made it a two-year project or even a five-year project. I mean, that's kind of a, a wonderful side effect of this lengthy period of time it took me to complete the book. Yeah. And allowed for some degree, anyway, of serendipity. You write in the book that you, you happened to be in Santa Fe, New Mexico in 
June 2012, and you ran into Sam Shepard with his son. And as a result of that chance encounter, you had lunch with him the following day, and he happened to be free that afternoon to be photographed. Um, I'm curious to know whether that was the only photo shoot in the book that wasn't planned out well in advance. Uh, well, uh, I had wanted very much to do Sam Shepard, and I I think I had written to him, uh, or maybe I hadn't written to him, so I was with my son, uh, and he was with his son. We were both, uh, it was a chance encounter, it was, it was nighttime, it was dark, uh, and I saw him uh, in very, uh, very recognizable, and even in the dark, I saw him coming towards me, and I said to my son, um, oh, gosh, that's, that's Sam Shepard. And at just at the exact same uh, moment, Sam Shepard turned to his son and said, oh, my gosh, this is, we're, we're about to, we're going to run into Owen Wilson. So it, that was a, a very good encounter, and he asked my so. Shepard asked my son, Owen, would you like to come with your mother to lunch uh, tomorrow at the Santa Fe Institute? And that's how we happened to have lunch together. And then uh, I didn't photograph him then because he was with his son and he was trying to get off on a trip back to the East, uh, East Coast. And so I didn't want to uh, burden him by asking to photograph him then. But but because we had met each other, then I was able to uh, photograph him when he came back from a series of um, obligations, around, literally around the world. <laughs> and uh, so I photographed him then when he returned to the Santa Fe Institute. Mm. But uh, a, another chance encounter was I had been interested in photographing Paul Theroux, but I hadn't, and I knew that he was on a Hawaiian island, and I thought he was on the island of Maui. But I knew that I had to meet um, uh, Mr. Murakami, Haruki Murakami, on Oahu. Um, and he, it had been very hard to set up the appointment with uh, Mr. Murakami because he, uh, living in Japan with the pandemic, no one was allowed into Japan. And so I couldn't get into Japan in order to photograph them unless I wanted to go into quarantine. I think it was maybe 14 days at least. 14 days quarantine before I could, you know, go out into um, any place in Japan. And he couldn't leave Japan uh, and enter uh, the United States. So we were back and forth over you know, about a year and a half, I think. And finally he said, I'm coming to, uh, to Oahu, and perhaps that would work for you to photograph me there, which I quickly said, yes, of course, I'll do that. But I I had in my mind that Paul Theroux was on Maui, but I didn't have the time. When I heard that I could photograph Murakami, I didn't have the time to look into and set it up with Paul Theroux, and I didn't have a, a contact for him. Uh, I didn't. I never worked through agents, generally speaking, or, or through the publishing house, because all of these writers are... Um, of a stature that they wouldn't just take um, sort of a uh, an opportunity to be photographed, you know, just by someone calling in. I mean, it was always through 
a more direct contact. So uh, when I got to uh, Oahu and photographed uh, Murakami, we had a wonderful two days together. He was very, very generous with his time. And he mentioned that he knew Paul Theroux and he lived uh, an hour or two outside of, Oahu, outside of Honolulu. And I said, oh, my gosh, that would be great. Would you consider going up there to where he lives so I might photograph you both together, uh, thinking that uh, two writers together would be a wonderful opportunity for a series of pictures. And he said, yes, he would. And, and so that's how I happened to do um, uh, Paul Theroux, who I hadn't even planned to uh, be able to have in the book. Those photographs are wonderful. And I think the only ones in the book where two of your subjects appear in the same... Exactly. The same, yeah. And then, of course, the wonderful... Talk about serendipity when... Um, uh, Paul Theroux had, he has these five uh, huge white geese and he's very proud of them. And so I, it wasn't just for us, but I think when he welcomes strangers or visitors, he walks out with him. So instead of a, uh, a crowd of dogs, he has these geese that he walks out and meets you at the front gate. And so I thought how great it was. Could you corral one of these geese? And of course he couldn't at that point. And so I, I love the picture of him trying to hold this huge goose with the white wing flying out of, of practically out of the frame. Yeah, it's outstanding. And you do the the photos in the book. Um, are accompanied by a short text by you, you know, a few hundred words that offer a little bit of context. Um, sometimes it's context about that writer's life or pets or, you know, the particular circumstances of the photo shoot, why you photographed J.M. Kotsea in Vienna, for example. Um, and sometimes you mention that you ask the writer for ideas about other writers they would like to see included in, in this project. Um, that idea comes up specifically in the text that accompanies the photographs of Tobias Wolfe and Jim Crace and Russell Banks, too. Um, did you, in fact, ask all of the writers if they had thoughts about that? Uh, not all of them, but I was so um, interested in who, but occasionally I did. And Tobias Wolf is a perfect example of someone who, he's a lovely man. And when I asked him who he might like to see, because I photographed him early on. So I said, if you were to go into a bookstore and find this book that I'm working on, who would you like to open up and see in the book? And he mentioned, oh, you know, maybe eight to ten writers that he knew because he ran a creative writing program at uh, uh, at Stanford, and so he was very familiar with other writers, and uh, and he suggested, oh, at least eight or ten. And I realized when I was um, twelve years later, or ten years later, when I was assembling the pictures and writing something, writing some text for each of the writers that, gosh, <clears throat> I had all eight of the 10 writers that he had suggested. I felt very happy that I was able to do that. And then as far as where I photographed them, I knew early on to go back to those wonderful pictures in Life magazine, the photo essays, where you really had a sense of the person that the photographer was um, photographing. And I knew I wanted to do them not 
um, in a hotel room or not uh, in a classroom or not. Uh, I wanted to do them where they lived and where and see how they worked and and what influenced them, what in their life um, that I might uh, see and observe uh, would show their influences. Uh, but the reason that I did uh, um, J.M. say in Vienna was because he lives in Australia, and I was very anxious to photograph him uh, as a Nobel Prize winner, and also I admired his writing very, very much. And I, um, so I had been written to him several times asking, and he seemed appalled by the idea <laughs> of spending so much money to fly to Australia uh, to photograph him. His, mm. his own sense of frugality came through. And so when he realized he was going to be in Vienna for a, a series of lectures, he suggested Vienna as it would be closer to Texas than Australia. So that's how I happened to photograph him there. But all the other writers, almost all of them, uh, I photographed where they actually where they lived. Jim Crace is another one that I didn't wasn't able to photograph in his house. He was at lecturing at the Michener Center at the University of Texas and teaching a creative writing course for uh, a semester. And when I went to photograph him, I realized uh, he's in a, a house that was loaned to him, to him and his wife for the duration. And it wasn't his house. It didn't reflect him at, uh, at all. And so I, I think I was lucky in the case that uh, I was able to get a reflection of his life in England by, I didn't mean to do this. I said, you know, it's so dark and uh, in this house and it's so, and it's not your house and it's kind of con confined spaces. Do you mind if we go outside? And just as we walked out, this deluge came down and I said, oh gosh, it's raining so hard. Is, is that going to be okay for you? And he said, well, I'm English. No rain bothers, doesn't bother me at all. So I think I was lucky to get him out in the rain. He does look perfectly at home in the rain. <laughs> did you, you wrote the texts um, later as the book was coming together, or did you write them as you went along? That's something that I wished, um, Jessica, that I had taken notes as I... Um, as I photographed each of the writers. But I was so busy concentrating so hard on getting good photographs and thinking about what would make a good photograph and trying to uh, talk to them in a way that made them comfortable and, uh, and easy and willing to cooperate that I had no time to... Uh, and then, I mean, you could say, oh, well, what about in the evenings? But... You know, I would just generally be, I don't know, exhausted, whether, you know, flying different places or well, I, I could have done it, obviously, but I sure didn't feel like it. And in fact, I didn't. And it was a very big struggle when um, I then had to, uh, at the end of the project, as the book is coming together and we're choosing the images to go into the book, then had to write something and uh, I felt it was a big burden. And again, I didn't, I'm certainly not going to write about a Booker Prize winner, a Pulitzer Prize winner about their writing uh, and why I was drawn to them. Um, 
to, to photograph. So I thought, well, I just say how it struck me when I met them and what, um, what we might have talked about or what they seemed to be interested in while we, while I was photographing them. And I, I feel that the, uh, what I actually ended up writing, uh, is, is, um, has a certain, I hope a certain charm that you, uh, and level of, um, information that maybe, uh, readers will be interested in. Yeah. From the perspective of this reader, it, it, you know, the, and this may be a result of the fact that you you did do the writing in a more condensed period of time, but it 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 feels like uh, you know almost like sitting with you going through the book. And you know these are the 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 first thing that would occur to you to say about the photo as you turn the page is is what you get to read. So that part really is wonderful. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last question uh, is about the organization of the book, which flows absolutely beautifully from one writer to the next. But I couldn't figure out the organizing principle. It doesn't, it's not chronological. It's not alphabetical by writer. Um, doesn't seem to be based on geography. Um, so I wondered whether you put it together based just on the aesthetics of the photographs or if there was some organizing principle that I, that I missed? Well, I, I, that, again, is such a good question. It, it was put together, well, we began with our, um, there was no point in hiding behind our heavy hitters. So we began with the Nobel Prize winner, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And it happened that I, I felt very lucky to get such charming pictures of him taking the camera from my sort of almost snatching the camera um, out of the hands of my assistant so he could hold it and look through the viewfinder himself. So I do feel I w was lucky in the, the uh, kind of pictures that I got from Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, so I think that the book was organized. I don't think it was organized by showing uh represented men and women, young and old, and from different parts of, um, you know, so we did, don't have, say, three Englishmen or women, one after the other. Um, so it was more to go back and forth so that you, uh, hopefully, when you turn the page, oh, it's a bit of a surprise to see this person following that person. It yeah. was more to keep the level of interest of the uh, viewer up. Um, and to have an energy to the book um, rather than think, okay, well, we're going through the um, the Irish writers now or, or we're going through the women now. Thank you for having the idea in 2009 to do this. Thank you for working on it for 13 years and for bringing us this project. And thank you for talking to me about it. Thank you, Jessica, very much for your interest. And um, and again, I want to say how lucky I feel uh, to have had the opportunity to meet and to talk to these writers. And uh, not that I had that much to say to them. It was more <laughs> that I was looking and watching. And that was a wonderful, uh, a, a real fan. <laughs> As I'm a real fan, it was a wonderful opportunity for me. The book, again, is The Writer's Portraits, and it is available now wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening. Please visit us online at yalebooks.com for more episodes of the podcast, as well as information about all of our books.